0: Welcome to Cornerstone, where we are seeing lives changed through the truth of God's Word and the love of God's people. We're glad you've joined us. Today, we'll be hearing from our lead pastor, Daniel Ostendorf. Listen in and be encouraged as we spend some time in God's Word together. Well, it is great to be together. A huge thank you to the band for leading us this morning. Um, what's fun, if you were with us in the Peter series, you know that our, our song that Jeremy wrote for that series came at the beginning of the, the series, and so I felt like we we rocked through the series in light of that truth. What's fun about this time is this message will come at the end of the book, and it's sort of we're anticipating. Oh, wait, I want to—wait, when does—why does God say we will be mine? What happens? Because so much of what we're looking at is rebuke, and so there is some good news coming that some will hear and respond, and so— Getting to worship and anticipate that through song has been sweet. Well, I really love my job and I love you all. So I will not stand up here and talk about who won the World Series this week. The only thing I will say is if you find yourself alone in a world of Astros fans, I married a Dallas girl. So I have no choice but to celebrate the, uh, can't say their name. Come find me. We'll talk. We'll celebrate together. Um, but what I really want to share with you guys, apart from that, is just something that I was reminded of this week. It has nothing to do with the sermon other than just to take a moment to encourage us. This is my uh, grandma, she's the only grandparent I knew. Um, This is Lauren meeting her for the first time in 2009. Um, Grandma Richardson, whenever we would visit her in Southern California, she grew up in Kentucky, lived in Los Angeles most of her life. When we would visit her in the 80s and 90s on furlough, she would take us to Los Angeles Dodgers games. And I loved going to LA Dodgers games with my grandma. So this weekend, or this week, as I watched the World Series, I wish grandma had been there to enjoy it with me, because there are like six key players on the, can't say the name, who were Dodgers players before. So anyway, so I just want to encourage you, if you're a grandparent in this room, sometimes in our culture, our culture can say that you kind of, you're past your prime. You don't have much of a role anymore in this world or in your grandkids' lives. 30 years later, I remember the times that my grandma took me to enjoy things she loved. So grandparents, I want to encourage you, take your grandkids, invite them to enjoy you in the things you enjoy because maybe 30 years later, they'll remember that time they spent with you, and God will use it. So that's the freebie this morning. It has nothing to do with the sermon, uh, but wanted to encourage us that way. Well, today we're looking at the conversation around faithfulness, and that faithfulness matters. Yellowstone, you've heard uh, of the are in Yellowstone called Old Faithful. It bears its name because Old Faithful will regularly erupt. The National Park Service reports that 90% of its eruptions happen within a 10-minute time frame, a 10-minute window, Um, and at that point in time, spewing boiling hot water up into the air about 184 feet. So Old Faithful has its name because you can faithfully depend on those eruptions. Now, 90% is pretty good. I mean, I wish you could depend on me 90% of the time, but in my sinfulness and fallenness, I don't know if that's true, but I do know that we serve a God who is faithful 100% of the time. And today we're going to be reminded of God's faithfulness in our call to be faithful as he is faithful. So as we get ready to jump in, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the joy of being together in, in this house to worship you with brothers and sisters. In the church that you are building of your people, it is a great and glorious and wonderful thing to get to worship the God who's changed our lives and who's knitting us together. God, it's also a wonderful thing to know that you have given us your word, that we might be here from you to appreciate more fully your love for us and what you've done, but also to hear clearly about who you've called us to be as your people. So Lord, I just pray that over the next half hour or so together as we walk through your word, would you use it to, to remind us of who you are, remind us of who you've called us to be, and then Lord, would you through that prick our hearts where you need to, work in our lives where you need to, that we might more faithfully follow the God who is faithful. pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we're now in week three of our series in Malachi. This kind of overview will get shorter and shorter each week, um, But Malachi means messenger and so uh, Malachi, the messenger, has a message for the people of God. That message comes about 430 B.C. So if you think about the Persian Wars and the Peloponnesian Wars, we're about that time frame in history. He is bringing his message during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, and in fact, some of the things that come up in today's passage—if you've read Nehemiah and Ezra, if you've been a part of our adult Bible fellowship program over the last month or two, who have been working through these books—you're going to hear things. You're like, "Oh wait, hold on! I've heard that recently." It's because Malachi is saying much of the same thing those prophets were as well, or those priests. Sorry, priest and governor, priest and governor. Well, it's post-exile, so the people have uh, been sent off to exile for not walking with the Lord. The Lord has returned them. And you might remember that they've rebuilt the temple, but it's a pale comparison to the Temple of Solomon's Day. It's a pitiful sort of taste of that day. They've rebuilt the walls, but Jerusalem itself is much smaller than it was during David and uh, Solomon's Day. And the homes and businesses inside the walls are still in ruins. So the people are living around the countryside of Judea, around Jerusalem, and you might remember something we saw last week was that the rich and wealthy are enslaving their own people, taking children and daughters and sons into, into slavery for the debt that is owed them, things that God said should never be done among his people. So the book of Malachi is really about people who have physically returned to this physical location, but have not returned to faithfulness to the Lord. So the book of Malachi is a call for repentance, as well as expectation that God is faithful even when his people are not. Well, today the focus will be on faithfulness, and it really builds on the three thing, the two things we've looked at so far. You might remember that we began by looking at God's love, that God's love was a love that chose his people, that loved them when they were unlovable, that that's how God loves. And this is the foundation of all that we know about God, that he is a God who chooses and loves of his own choice, and that we respond to that. Remember last week we looked at God's name, that because he has chosen and loved these people, they have the right to call him father and to call him master. As a result, they should respond with fear and honor towards him, because God's name matters for how we live and worship. And then today we're going to see that God is a faithful God, and so our faithfulness or, in the case of today, our faithlessness matters as well. And calling them out, God's going to call them to be defined by the things that define him, primarily his faithfulness today. I want to give you a roadmap real quick, and you'll see why this is important as we move ahead. There's really three key ideas to take away today. One is that faithfulness is central to who God is. It's absolutely at the core of who our Heavenly Father and our Creator is. He is a faithful God, and his people have proclaimed that throughout the ages. Second, as we'll see, is as a result of his faithfulness— our faithfulness or faithlessness reflects on him as his people. And so as a result, the the outcome of this, the call out of this is to guard against faithlessness and fight for faithfulness. So that's what we'll see in today's passage. But I want to start with this first premise that faithfulness is central to who God is. And I'm going to do it in a slightly different way. We're not going to look at the passage right away. I don't think this passage punches us in the gut catches our attention, gets our, our um, attention, to use that twice, gets our attention the way it should, if we don't realize that faithfulness is absolutely at the heart of who God is. So I'm going to walk you through kind of biblically, what does the Bible say about God's faithfulness? Here we go. My favorite passage, if you've been here before, you know one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is Exodus 34, where God reveals himself in spoken word for the first time, describing himself. And here's what he says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When God chose all the words he could use to describe who he was, faithfulness was one of those things. And so throughout Scripture, God's people will return to this refrain time and time again. In Deuteronomy 7 9, the people are reminded know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations when david sits down to write the psalms and the songs of worship for the people of god david writes this in psalm 31 for you are my rock and my fortress for your name's sake you lead me and guide me you take me out of the net they have hidden for me for you are my refuge Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. When Paul writes to the believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he once again hits this home in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. If you have read the Bible and you know your Bible, you know this refrain carries on and we could spend the next 45 minutes simply looking at the Psalms and, and the Proverbs and the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because one of God's distinguishing characteristics is his faithfulness. And as a result, one of, God's, or one of our distinguishing characteristics as his people is to be faithfulness. Let's take a look at, the rest, at how Scripture also talks about our faithfulness in light of God's. David writes in Psalm 26, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is what we are to walk in as well. Just as 1 John 4 reminds us that we love because God first loved us, we are faithful because God was faithful and is faithful. In Samuel, the prophet Samuel writes to the people in 1 Samuel 12, and I think I took this one out accidentally, sorry about that. 1 Samuel 12, 24, the prophet tells the people, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Now when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew 25, and, and he praises them for his faithfulness, what does he, how does he do that? Matthew 25, 21, The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Walking faithfully as our Father is faithful bears fruit, not only in our own lives, but in the blessing of experiencing the joy of our God. In Acts 11, when Barnabas visits the, the first community to be called Christians, out of all the things he could encourage them to do, what does he encourage them to do in Acts 11:23, We read this. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And then in Revelation 2, in a passage that makes me think of our brothers and sisters around the world, that at this very moment may have to choose to die, to hold fast to the name of Christ, in Revelations 2, we read this in the context of persecution. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. Our God is a God of faithfulness, and we are to be a, God, a people of faithfulness in light of our God. We are to follow him because it is at the core of his essence it should define the way we live as his people. We are in a world that exalts fickleness and feelings and personal preferences that do I dare say actually exalts faithlessness. That we, our world almost laughs at us. Why would you stay in a, in a marriage that doesn't fulfill you? That's stupid. Why would you do that? Why don't you jump ship? Right? Faithfulness today is mocked where faithlessness is esteemed. That which should be a vice is considered a virtue, and that which is a virtue is considered a vice. More so than ever, our world needs Christians who will reflect the Lord's faithfulness in all areas of our life. The reason I started by reflecting on who God is and what he's called us to be is that we might feel the punch of the passage today. Because the, the point that comes out of Malachi two ten through 16 is that our faithlessness reflects on our God It impacts our worship so if you haven't made yourself there already or made your way there go to make your way to Malachi 2 verses 10 through 16 it'll be on the screen too for those of you who need it all right here we go starting in verse 10 have we not all one father has not one God created us why then are we faithless to one another profaning the covenant of our fathers Judah has been faithless An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves and your spirit, and do not be faithless. Last week in the passage we looked at, you might remember what word was repeated eight times. It was the word name, and the focus last week was that we were to live in light of God's name. This week in just these short six verses, what word is repeated five times? Faithless. We are called to be a people who are faithful, and the primary charge this week is that God's people in Malachi's day had become faithless. Now, you might say, and here's where I want to put a caveat in here, for those of you who aren't married, who maybe are widows or widowers, who aren't sure you'll ever be married, or in the last hour we had a lot of kids in here who don't even think about marriage yet, it's easy to tune out this passage and say, this doesn't apply to me. And what I don't want you to miss is verse 10 makes it very clear that this is about how we act to one another. Yes, marriage will be the specific example that we're going to look at, but the call for faithfulness is for all of us in all of our relationships. We are called to be a people defined by faithfulness, whether we are married or not. We are to reflect a faithful God, whether we are married or not. And so Malachi will pick this as a specific example, but don't miss the point that the call for all of us is to be faithful as God's people. So you might ask, though, but why does he pick marriage? Then why why pick marriage? Well, I think because marriage is a unique and special reflection of God's love for us. It is to be a clear example of his faithfulness and his covenant and his steadfast love. Marriage has a unique place in Scripture. the, The Bible begins with a marriage between Adam and Eve, and it ends with a marriage between Jesus and his bride. Note that that is not a relationship of two people, so... Those of you who aren't married or, may not, or aren't married, don't get off the hook. Marriage is a theme that reflects what God's doing in his plan. Marriage is a symbol to what God, who God is and what he's doing. God has chosen marriage to reflect himself, to reflect his everlasting covenant with his people, for marriage is to be a covenant that lasts till death do us part. God has united us in Christ, and so marriage shows us what that union looks like as he brings two people together and unites them as one. God is a faithful God, and so marriage is supposed to show us what faithfulness looks like through the ups and downs of life. God is a God of sacrificial love. He sent his own son to die for us, and so marriage is a call to love with self-sacrificing love, a love that is intentional, that is committed despite feelings and the ups and downs of life. You see, marriage reflects the gospel, that God chose us and remains steadfast, faithful to us, regardless of us. So marriage is an incredible, powerful testimony of who God is. And as a result, it is not only one of the hardest things we will do in our life, it is one of the things the devil wants to beat up the most. It requires daily dying to self and forgiveness and grace, despite our feelings and our circumstances. Marriage is sacred for many reasons, and we're going to unpack some of those in this passage today. But this is part of what makes it so significant. Marriage is far more than just simply saying, let's give it a shot and see if it works out. Marriage is far more than just, hey, let's see if we can't figure out how to make this 50-50 relationship work. For as we'll see today, marriage is a covenant in which God is involved, and it is a covenant to God, before God, with God. So with these two themes in mind, faithlessness and marriage, let's begin to walk through the text together. Oh, sorry, here we go. General charge, faithlessness, specific example, marriage. All right, Malachi 10, uh, 2.10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? What I love about this accusation, this third disputation as Malachi starts, where everything else starts, with who God is and that we are to live in light of that. So we have one Father, a united God. If you know the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, our God is one. So Malachi is saying, you all worship the same God. He is not only your God, but he has blessed you and chosen you and allowed you to call him Father. And yet you treat one another as if that's not the case. You treat one another as if you have different fathers and you worship different gods. The unity that God has brought to your community, you've divided and separated and you've yanked apart. For God and Father being one has united his people underneath his headship, his lordship, and his fatherhood. It's why faithlessness is so devastating because it's an attack at who God is and what he's done in his people. Not only is there one God and one father, but we are accountable to this God and how we treat one another. Notice that Malachi jumps straight into that. Why are you faithless to one another if you have one God who's faithful to you? The way God relates to us should shape the way we relate to one another. And so the charge is that they have been faithless and they profane the covenant that God has made with them now up to this point in these disputations there's been a charge levied and the people have responded wait hold on hold on like how is that true right in the first one it was okay god says i have loved you and the people with sort of irony and a teenage kind of angst have said how have you loved us look at how difficult our lives are this one doesn't have that but the implied retort is this right the malachi says you guys have been faithless you've profaned my name and the retort is how have we been faithless how have we profaned the covenant of our fathers so Malachi goes on to tell them, in verse 11, Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. The charge here is faithlessness and abomination and worship, especially in the temple. How did God's people commit this by marrying women who worshipped other gods? No, it's worth stopping here because this idea has been abused by God's people throughout the ages. And we just need to recognize it for the abuse that it is. There has been throughout the ages the claim that you cannot marry somebody of a different ethnic race or a different background or a different culture. That is not what Scripture is saying and gets at throughout the entirety of Scripture. God's heart is not that you don't marry somebody who looks like you. He says, I want you to marry somebody who worships me the way you do. And we got caught up somewhere along the way on looks and we forgot about what matters. That's not about marrying somebody who's different than us. It's marrying somebody who's spiritually the same as us. Someone who's chasing after Yahweh and committed to Yahweh and going to pursue God like we are. And if you've read Ezra and Nehemiah, you know this charge is something they've leveraged at the people as well. You You marry women who worship foreign wives. The word here, abomination, is incredibly poignant. It's the word that's applied to idol worship in Deuteronomy, to perverse sexual practices in Leviticus, to the participation in the occult and human sacrifice in Deuteronomy. God says, when you worship, when you marry women who don't worship me, when you choose that, it's like you've sacrificed to an idol, or you got involved in perverse sexual practice. Who we marry matters, not only for our lives, but for the Lord and his worship. So that's why Malachi then turns to the sanctuary of the Lord, which it says God loves. God's sanctuary is the place where he is worshiped, the place where he he covenants with the people and he meets with them and, and they bring their worship to him. We get married in churches. And over the years, as I've wrestled through being on elder boards of different churches, one of the questions that always comes up is would we allow non believers to get married in our church? And that's a hard question, but I think it's a troubling question because what's happening is they're checking the box without realizing what's going on in the midst of the sanctuary. Because it's not the church that makes marriage important. It's what God's doing in the midst of that ceremony. He is uniting two people into one, and they are covenanting with one another and with him. He is making a covenant with them. And so when we treat worship or marriage as just one other thing to check the box, we miss the point. Marriage matters because it's a covenant with the Lord. Worship matters because it's worship to the Lord. As a result, faithlessness matters. for It ruptures that. Now why not weary women who are pursuing other gods? It's a hard thing to pursue and faithfully worship God when your spouse doesn't do the same. I can look around this room and I know your stories. I know several of you have experienced that. That you have prayed for a spouse who doesn't know the Lord that maybe you did make the choice as a, as a young couple in love to get married and then realize you weren't both following Jesus. And that's a hard road. And Malachi says, I would never want that for you. Now for those of you who find yourselves there, you've made a commitment, and we pray alongside you and with you that your faithfulness to God will bring your spouse to Christ. But what Malachi is getting at is these are people choosing to marry people who worship other gods. Malachi says, you should not do that. Malachi goes on to issue a pretty harsh curse and prayer for them in Malachi 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Church, what we miss is that marriage and worship are intricately intertwined. That God now dwells inside of us as Christ followers. And so worship happens when we were with other believers. Worship happens, and when you're married to someone who's not a believer, it impacts your worship of God. And if you are not worshiping God, that impacts your marriage with the other person. Marriage is to make us more like God and to reflect God to the world. It's an act of worship, but God is also intricately working through our marriage to help us to worship Him more faithfully. It's why in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about being unequally yoked. Do you know what the context of that passage is? Why Paul says to the church in Corinth, don't marry those who don't follow Jesus? The context is worship. Our marriages impact our worship. And I think far too often we think these are two different worlds. That we worship God over here and we get married over here and the two have nothing in common. And Malachi is saying, no, these are intricately intertwined. Your marriage shapes your worship and your worship shapes your marriage. And who you worship matters For if we worship a faithful God, we will seek to be faithful in our marriages. So Malachi has a pretty strong word for us, right? He says, I wish you wouldn't marry women who worship other gods. And it's a bit like the the strong call from last week, if you remember it. God says, I wish someone would just close the doors of the temple. I would rather not have your sacrifices than have them and you be far from me. And Malachi says something similar. He says, I'd rather you not get married then marry someone who doesn't follow Yahweh. So some of our earliest application in this passage is this. If, if you're unmarried, seek a godly spouse. It matters. If you choose to marry someone who doesn't follow Jesus, it will impact your worship and the entirety of your life. And when I was at, speaking at a men's retreat last month, I had a young man come up to me. He's in his mid-20s. Men in the room who have been in your mid-20s and unmarried, you can appreciate this because I was there. You get to your mid to late 20s and you start to wonder if you'll ever get married. And you start to get a bit angsty about it and you start to feel like, oh, should I do something? Like, am I missing the opportunity? Should I jump in and do something? So this young man reached out to an old girlfriend that weekend and they started texting that weekend again. And he said to me near the end of the weekend, he's like, what do you think I should do? I said, does she love the Lord? Will she be more committed to him than you are, than to you? And as a result of being committed to to God, will she be committed to you through thick and thin? And he had to honestly say no. And so he texted me the next day and said, hey, I broke it off. You're right, that was not a good place to go. The truth is, who we marry and who they worship will impact our marriage and our worship. So unmarried people, seek a godly spouse. It would be better that you stay single your entire life than marry someone who doesn't serve the Lord. Now, for those of you who are married and and you find yourself in a relationship with a spouse who doesn't know the Lord, remain steadfast. Your faithfulness is a reflection of the Father's faithfulness. Your love to your spouse is a reflection of the Father's love. And know that we are joining with you to say, Lord, move in that marriage that that spouse might come to know Jesus. And then, those of us who are married and know Jesus, our call is to be faithful to one another. Knowing that our marriage impacts the way we worship on Sunday mornings and we worship throughout the week. And knowing that what we come to do on Sunday mornings in worshiping our Heavenly Father who is faithful should impact the marriage that we live through the rest of the week. Well, Malachi leverages two charges. Not only that you're marrying wives who, don't follow, who follow other gods. Sorry, that should be a lowercase g. Uh, typo in the middle of the sermon. Uh, should be a lowercase g rather than uppercase. Second one is you divorce the wives you have. So those who aren't married, you're marrying women who don't follow me. And those who are married, you're getting rid of your wives. So let's take a look at Malachi 13 through 14. This is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And you say, why does he not? Notice where Malachi begins with this second half, with worship. Worship impacts our marriages. Marriage impacts our worship. Marriage is intricately intertwined here. And and, and Malachi uh, says, you guys cry out, God, why don't you hear us? Why don't you do anything? And then as we're gonna see in the next verses, the very people who are divorcing their wives are then coming before the altars, buckets of tears, God, why aren't you showing up for me? Have you guys ever had any, maybe your kids' life or an employee's life or a sibling's life where they do something to you and they do something wrong, and then it's not seconds later they come asking for something? My kids do this all the time. It's like, you know, they do something wrong, we're like, don't do that. And then seconds later, mom and Daddy, can I have a cookie? I'm like, no, you don't get a reward for doing wrong. Or more explicitly, in my marriage, I, uh, I have this sort of snarky part to me, um, which you guys don't see very often, um, and I call being honory loving. So when I'm being honorary to my wife, I'm like, I'm loving you. And she's like, no, you're not. You're being honorary Stop it. So I'll be honoring to my wife, right? I'll tease her in some way, and then I'll go in for the kiss. She's like, whoa, hold on. You don't get a kiss. Like, you just tease me, right? We know this in our relationships, and yet we do it. We ask for something even though we're not being appropriate in our relationships. We're not doing what we ought to. And yet then, how often do we go to a Heavenly Father and say, God, could you just ignore everything I'm doing over here, and could you give me what I want and need? Now, let's be clear. God is a faithful God who will be faithful and steadfast and love us. But that does not mean that God will hear our prayers when we're walking in sin. And we'll look at that here shortly, because there's a powerful message for us as men. All right. Well, Malachi goes on to tell the people why their prayers are not being heard. Here's what he says in verse 14. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. What Malachi is saying, the Lord was there. He was the witness of your marriage. He was there witnessing the covenant you made between your wife. He was the witness that you made this commitment to them. Church, let's not miss this. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is not a 50-50 split. Marriage is not a let's see how this goes. This is not a, hey, if you do your part, I'll do my part. No, Christian marriage, and this is why it matters so, so much to us, is a covenant. It's a lifelong commitment to the other person regardless of what they do. As far as it is up to us, it is a lifelong commitment. Now, there are places where sin and abuse require divorce, and and, and Jesus will tell the people in his day, you were allowed divorce because of sin. We recognize sin's there. But, man, as far as it is up to us, marriage is a covenant and a lifelong commitment. Notice the affectionate words of Malachi here. The Lord was witness of this covenant between you and the wife of your youth, your companion, your wife by covenant. That companion word is a really unique word. It's not used anywhere else in the Hebrew. It's actually a construction word. So, since we're a church of engineers or we have many engineers in our church, it's a word you won't find anywhere else. It is literally the thing that goes between two walls to hold them together. Your wife, your partner, your companion is the thing that helps hold the marriage together. You are co heirs, co equals in Christ, and together your marriage holds together. She is your companion in this. Effort. She is the wife of your youth, even if she is no longer young. She is the wife by covenant, not by feeling, or we're tired of this. There's a growth in significance in this progression from the wife of your youth to your companion to the wife of a covenant before God, which he bore witness to. We are to be the people of our word and our commitment. All right, men, because I'm a man, I'm going to get a little more sort of direct with us here for a second. Um, And I think it's worth doing, but this applies to all of us. Men, you might remember back in 1 Peter 3, when we walked through that passage, that Peter, it was only to men he said, Hey, faithfully love your wife and treat her as you should, because if you don't, what happens? Your prayers will be hindered. You might remember from the passage, we were the only ones called out in that. Now, it's not true only of us, but we lead the way. So men, lead the way in your families and in our community by doing what you ought, by loving your wives faithfully. Because the same principle is work here. Our relationship with others impacts our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord impacts our relationship with others. These are intricately intertwined. And so Malachi then turns as we head towards the end of this passage to go back to verse 10 in which he said, one God and one Father, he emphasizes this oneness once again. Did he not make them one? Did God not put these two together in a covenant and with a portion of the Spirit in their union and and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Did he not make them one? Church marriage is not our decision. Church is not something, marriage is not something we did and we get to undo. Marriage is something that God is doing a miracle in the middle of, making two into one. Because he is a God who is one. He is a God who not only puts his spirit within us, he puts his spirit between us in marriage that we might be faithful in following him and loving one another to the very end. As Christ's followers, God's spirit indwells us and here Malachi says his spirit is also there in the marriage. As married Christians, God has given us the resources and the tools we need if we will walk with him to help us to remain faithful to our spouses. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19? God, as Jesus said, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not men separate. This is why divorce is such a big deal because it attacks the work of what God has done. It is an undoing of a, of a divine miracle, divine work, and it not only reflects on what God has done, it reflects on who God is. The covenant of marriage is so important. That's why divorce is such a big deal. Like the offering of sacrifices and worship last week, I would argue that we as a culture, not us as a culture, but we as an American culture, take marriage far too lightly. And we are a faithless people before a faithful God. We, are, uh, we have a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God and we, seek, we, we struggle to keep our covenants with one another. As Malachi goes on to say, God's desire is that the product of this union is those who would faithfully follow him godly offspring. Let's look at the last two verses and see how Malachi closes this section. He says, So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The word guard here shows up twice and and the sense of the verb behind this word translated guard is to keep watch over your spirit in such a way as to protect yourself from influences and situations that would compromise the marriage relationship. So point three is that we've got to guard against faithfulness and fight for faithfulness. You might remember a few years ago, Billy Graham was mocked for the Billy Graham rule, right? That he wouldn't travel alone with a woman because he didn't want to put himself in a compromising situation. And that wasn't just a compromising situation for his marriage. He knew that that compromised the gospel. Men, we've got to be careful. Women, we've got to be careful of the situations we put ourselves in and the things we listen to and the things we watch and the things we consider. For not only the sin in our own hearts, but our culture will work to lure us away from the covenant of marriage. For we have an enemy who glories in broken marriages and in disunity. I watched the first season of Apple's acclaimed show, Ted Lasso. There was something about a, an American sports coach going to Britain and trying to figure out what British football, that is soccer, looked like and, and how to coach that. And so there was something as a, British, a kid who grew up in a British colony that fascinated me there. Though it's been critically acclaimed, and I know lots of Christ followers who really like it, I just want to be clear, I can't recommend it. I stopped watching the show when it justified divorce as a loving action towards the other person. Because you see, just a few months before I watched that clip, I had heard my best friend use the same words, almost word for word, to justify his faithlessness to his wife. It was the most poignant example in 2022 of how our culture shapes our choices and shapes the way we think about our marriages and our lives and our worship. So Malachi ends here to say, guard yourselves Church, we have to watch what we watch. We have to watch what we read. We have to watch what we listen to, who we watch, who we read, who we listen to. For the things that we consider in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts, they will either lead us away from the Lord and into faithlessness, or they will lead us towards the Lord into faithfulness. We have to guard our spirits. For our hearts and our world will drag us that way and we have to fight to remain faithful. My heart breaks when I hear things like, oh, I'm going to kind of walk away from this because of the other person's actions. I'm not happy, so we're going to try something different. Right When we see faithlessness justified because of how I feel, and I don't have a very good, strong word to use from the stage that's appropriate, so I'm going to use the best I could come up with. That is malarkey. Like, use it. Translate it into whatever the worst word is you can hear in your head. We are never allowed as Christians to justify faithlessness in our lives. There is nothing in our lives that we're allowed to use to say faithlessness is okay for we serve a faithful God. And even in divorce that's allowed because of sin, our hearts should break for each other. And so we guard our hearts and our minds for faithlessness is knocking at our door. Now let's be clear, God's forgiveness is always available. God's faithfulness is always consistent. But let us never be a people who presume upon God's faithfulness. Let us never choose faithlessness knowing that God will forgive us because the effects of our faithlessness are far-reaching in our spouses, in our family, in our worship, in our lives. I want to wrap up today with one more story for you. And the reason I tell you this story is because sometimes it's hard to be faithful. Sometimes faithfulness is just a hard slog, and we don't see any results. Sometimes we want to give up because we don't see these results. Sometimes even those who should be speaking encouragement into our life to remain faithful discourage us. So here's a story I read this week. An elderly preacher was rebuked by one of his deacons one Sunday morning before the service. Pastor, he said the man, something must be wrong with your preaching and your work. There's been only one person added to the church in a whole year, and he's just a boy. The minister listened, and his eyes began to moisten, and his thin hands began to tremble. I felt it all, he replied. But God knows I've tried to do my duty, read faithfully. And on that day, the minister's heart was heavy as he stood before his flock. As he finished the message, he felt a strong inclination to resign. Obviously, I'm not being fruitful. Why am I here? How often have we felt like giving up in our marriages or in the places God's called us to or the places he wants us to be because we're not seeing fruit or because of someone's discouraging word? Well, after everyone else had left the service that day, a a single boy, in fact, that boy who had joined the service that year or the church that year, came up and asked, hey, pastor, do you think if I worked hard for an education, could I become a preacher like you? Maybe even a, a missionary? Again, tears welled up in the minister's eyes. He says, oh, this this heals the ache I feel. He said, Robert, I see the divine hand now. May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I think you could become a preacher. Many years later, an aged missionary returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with reverence. Nobles invited him to their homes. He had added many souls to the Church of Jesus Christ, reaching even some of Africa's most savage chiefs in South Africa and Botswana. He translated the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress into Setswana. His name was Robert Moffat, the same Robert who had been the only boy to start attending that church that year in that old Scottish kirk. It's easy to grow his heart in church, and yet Malachi's call for us today is to remain faithful. Our God is a faithful God, and we have an enemy who wants to discourage us and encourage us to be faithless. And so I want to give you the good news for today. The good news is to fix our eyes on our Heavenly Father. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. He is a faithful God. And nothing shows us his love and his covenant and his faithfulness, like the cross. The God who promised he would send a Messiah for hundreds of years, through hundreds of promises, kept his promise. He is a faithful God, despite our faithlessness. He is a covenant-keeping God, despite our failure to keep covenants. He is a gracious God, who loves us I want to spend some time as we head into communion just challenging maybe a thought we have sometimes we come to communion and we say oh lord i, I can't take communion because i haven't been faithful well maybe god's doing something in your heart and, and we are warned as i'll share with you in a little bit and, and by paul and first corinthians to not take this lightly that's been the warning right the last two weeks not to take worship lightly not to take marriage lightly and and i would argue we don't take communion lightly but I also would encourage you that as we take communion, we don't take communion because of us. We take communion because of him. We take communion because Jesus sacrificed his life and laid it down as, as an act of covenant-keeping, faithful love towards Thanks us. again for spending some time with us today. For further information about today's podcast or our church in general, please visit us at cornerstonecbc.org. That's cornerstonecbc.org. Thanks. See you next time.